the same genes that predispose people to being more susceptible. 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 They discovered that the same genes that make some people more successful. <laughs> Welcome to Totally Unrelated, a place for history, trivia, media, brain farts, and the occasional venting session. My name is Diana. And I am Irina. Last episode, we based our discussion on uh, deceitful use of language. Uh, and uh, as a sort of uh, uh, case study, we've used uh, Greg Mankiv's response to the Occupy movement, uh, an essay titled Defending the 1%. Uh, we ended part one with his telling the poor to get a degree because being smart is what will get you that sweet, sweet uh, dough. Uh, and nothing else, basically. Uh, just the smarts and uh, pulling oneself up by the proverbial bootstraps. Uh, uh, in uh, last episode, we also touched upon Mankiv's um, perspective on uh, inequality leading to economic inefficiency. And uh, now we can uh, begin by re resuming that idea as Mankiv takes a jab at Stiglitz's attempt to measure equality of opportunity. Uh, Stiglitz's point is that one way inequality makes things inefficient is by decreasing the number of opportunities people born into a certain family uh, get as opposed to others, which in turn uh, means that you don't get uh, uh, to... Exp um, I mean, many people just can't live up to their potential because they never have the chance and... Uh, Society as a whole then is deprived of the benefits this would uh, provide, their contributions uh -huh. would provide, so to speak. Uh -huh. Okay, so he says, measuring the degree of equality of opportunity is difficult. In his book, Stiglitz proposes a metric, the intergenerational transmission of income. Under this definition of equality of opportunity, people's earnings would be uncorrelated with those of their parents. Yet the issue cannot be settled so easily because the intergenerational transmission of income has many causes beyond unequal opportunity. In particular, parents and children share genes, a fact that would lead to intergenerational persistence in income even in a world of equal opportunities. IQ, for example, has been widely studied and it has a large degree of heritability. Smart parents are more likely to have smart children, and their greater intelligence will be reflected, on average, in higher incomes. Of course, IQ is only one dimension of talent, but it is easy to believe that other dimensions, such as self-control, ability to focus, and interpersonal skills, have a degree of genetic heritability as well. And obviously... Also, your mama and papa getting you the right kind of job also seems to have quite an impressive degree of heritability. Yeah, I mean, isn't this a case of, you know, uh, back in a uh, uh, past episode when uh, I think Galton 
was it who said that lords yeah lords breed lords yes it's basically that argument isn't it and you know as as a person who who works in the medical field in romania i just you go in a university or in a hospital and you just see that the children of people not necessarily all the doctors but the ones that have positions of power their children will be the ones that they just happen to finish school at the right moment when they were hiring mm-hmm. they weren't hiring the year before or the year after mm-hmm. but they, 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 it just happened that they were hiring that for that exact exact job the year that the right kind of person finished school you know well i mean I, so I, yeah i've heard that with a high income bracket also comes a perfect uh, timing in life Yes, of course. I I noticed that also. It should be scientifically studied. Yes, it's an ability to be the right person in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the whole okay. but the whole thing is just of course annoyingly condescending and patting people on the head uh while you're being told that, well, now you see little Timmy, people are just different. No matter how much we wish that they were all just the same in every way. <laughs> and uh you know it's again like we've said the uh, in the last episode people aren't uh the straw man that Mankin makes them out to be like they expect uh sort of equality to mean everyone gets paid the same regardless of what they do regardless of any inherent um advantage they might have whether that's something that they can control or whether it's something you know that you inherit so to speak you inherit an advantage uh-huh. because you know the one of the easiest examples that we can all think of when we talk about things you cannot control or you can only partially control is we know people who are physically attractive have some important advantages uh-huh. in life and you cannot uh-huh. deny this and you can scarcely control it uh, whether you're the one who is benefiting from it or if you are the one who is you know so bedazzled by the beauty of someone that <laughs> you 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 somehow uh, provide them with uh, you know uh, with uh, special treatment or things like that but also also here if you come from uh, financial high financial means if you if you're not uh, you know cursed with some horrible face or something mm-hmm. you are more likely to be able to go on the side of what society at that moment considers attractive than if you are poor i mean it is yeah. more likely that you will be attractive if you have the money <laughs> yeah 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 i mean you you might not have the best the actual facial features but your ability to put that to your advantage is obviously a lot bigger than somebody who just doesn't have the time to go to uh, have a facial treatment or the right haircut mm-hmm. or uh, buy the right creams for their face and everything so yeah but so so even those things Yeah, but I uh, I mean it's also quite obvious that he's he's being again not uh, he's not arguing it in good faith because 
obviously. So quite a few of the things he mentions, like the ability to focus or interpersonal skill, skills, these aren't things that you just pop out of the womb uh, having, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. things like interpersonal skills. Well, you know, if your parents have those skills themselves, or if they have the time to spend with you and teach you stuff, introduce you to various people, teach you how to deal with different situations. You know, all these things are dependent on, on what happens to you and to your family. Of you course. Know, as a collection of genes in the world, in a certain context, so to speak. So it's not just something that, you know, you have a... You, you got lucky, you got the lucky set of genes, and then you just pass those on. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like sometimes uh, trying to argue with this sort of way of thinking, uh, like the one Mankiff displays here, is like arguing with the lady who said that the world is flat and rests on top of a carapace of a turtle. And then if you ask, mm -hmm. okay, but like what is underneath the turtle, the answer is that you get turtles all the way down <laughs> pretty much, pretty much <laughs> because yeah. because it's a very circular logic like okay people are wealthy because they have good genes and then good genes allow them to keep being wealthy also good genes are good and you know at the end of the day what what the implication is that poor people aren't just poor but also not very smart and uh, I think that the, the main point of contention is that he thinks that, well, they aren't smart and they probably won't be smart even if we spend money uh, providing better educational opportunities, uh, better living conditions, because ultimately that's the point he's trying to make, that you see it's not just unfortunate that these pe people are at the moment facing uh -huh. these hardships and then they aren't able to be the best, uh, you know, the best human resources for capital to exploit, I mean, to employ. Um, <laughs> but that somehow, I mean, no matter what we do, some people, well, most people actually, but uh, they are going to just fall between the cracks. And um, there is also this idea that you have, you know, good genes and bad genes. And um, for sure, there are some genes that, just are not compatible with uh, any environment that we have on Earth, and those are definitely bad. So those are the people that should uh, go on a mission to Mars. I mean, maybe, you <laughs> don't yeah. know. Uh, absolutely. But um, most, most genes are good or bad in relation to the environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that Michael Jordan had the right gene combination to be a great basketball player, and this allowed him to be extremely successful, has a lot to do with the fact that people play basketball. And basketball is a sport that is highly financially rewarding because the same person with the same genes uh, in, I don't know, 1400s would not have made this kind of money. We, we, we shall ignore the fact that um, being black would have been a problem, but assuming that would have not been a problem or the same type of genes and he would have been white. Uh, but you, you didn't have uh, basketball and you didn't have that kind of money in any kind of sport. So this idea of, well, it's all about the genes. Sure, but how the genes affect you uh, have a lot to do 
with how they relate to the environment at that moment. Mm -hmm. And of course, in some cases, you are um, more likely to change the genes, uh, in, let's say some diseases, medical uh, issues, but in others, uh, you are more likely to change the environment, even if the genes are still the ones providing you with the pluses or the minuses, but they come in... Um, um, in, in an interaction, they don't just exist in like a vacuum. They are good or bad in space, you know? Yeah, and also it's, uh, it, this speaks very much to the idea that um, uh, many people sort of tend to imagine that even when you talk about um, something that is contextual, even something as scary as a hierarchy, you know, hierarchy mm -hmm. of uh, talents that is especially well rewarded, a hierarchy of uh, roles that you can play in society, whatever. Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, you know, uh, these, these uh, individuals, they are highly regarded because blah, 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 and they are high up in the hierarchy. And that's why, you know, that's why they get all the, I don't know, best, uh, mm -hmm. best, of, best of the best, all the rewards. But the thing is, the hierarchies themselves, okay, if you talk about something specific, a uh, specific, uh, I don't know, profession, you might have hierarchies within that profession, and that's fine, but that's not something that's going to be like that all the time anyhow. Uh, so, um, you know, it, the hierarchies themselves, they are not immutable. They are uh, contextual. And the fact that some people sort of uh, take those and then transfer them and um, use whatever sort of legitima legitimacy or, or uh, regards they get from being up in a certain hierarchy and then translate it to other aspects of their lives, that's just something that other people put up with so it's 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 it, it disappears it's a convention it's something that if other people's people around you do not uh recognize that as something valid mm -hmm. that doesn't exist <laughs> so yeah yeah um and you know uh because he mentioned iq <laughs> I was thinking that this paper was written, I think, in 2013. So technically speaking, before the explosion of uh, IQ and race-obsessed uh, YouTubers before Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, the time of uh, the reasonable, decent conservatism. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yet again, I, uh, I, I, I thought about how ludicrous the idea, this idea of being socially liberal but conservative in terms of how you view the uh, economy truly is. It just seems like the position of someone who is uh, either disingenuous or just hasn't thought through the implications of what they stand for down the line. Because, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you can say, oh, I truly respect uh, and uh, cherish this person or that person, and I will use your preferred pronouns or whatever. I won't call you uh, any slurs, but yes, but also I don't think that you should have, uh, you know, the possibility to go to a good school. I don't think that there should be a fair tax system that then ensures there are good public services that your family uh, can benefit from. 
So mm-hmm. you know how it's just it's very it's very superficial. It's very no, you're not you're not really you're not really the good person you think you are. Yeah, I mean generally, if it's not something that you're actually doing as your job or you are required to go deep into it you tend to just on the surface think about like this live and let live kind of attitude you know uh, let me have my stuff and you have your stuff and i will leave you alone and that if that way everybody's happy but if you don't actually think about how that is going to affect your life and what that actually implies yeah it is highly likely that you'll be an asshole and you won't even know it yeah and uh, and also it's very interesting because i i uh thought about this as i was reading another book uh, by um silvia federici and she was uh highlighting the fact that uh, there are certain groups for which being highly individualistic is more it's it's both easier and more advantageous than for other groups and usually the most vulnerable groups have a lot more to uh, draw larger benefits from either communal property or like public services and things like that uh because obviously mm-hmm. if you yourself or your you know your your close ones don't have that many resources uh, the ability to uh, pull together resources with a larger group uh, obviously tends to cover more of the gaps Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know we can also argue obviously about like the sort of social and psychological benefits of just feeling like you belong and all of this but you know uh, let's uh, let's go on with the reading. Yeah, uh, he continues. This is not to say that we live in a world of genetic determinism, for surely we do not. But it would be a mistake to go to the other extreme and presume no genetic transmission of economic outcomes. A recent survey of the small but growing field of genoeconomics by Benjamin et al. reports that twin studies. Uh, suggest that economic outcomes and preferences, once correct, uh, corrected for measurement error, appear to be about as heritable as many medical conditions and personality traits. So, I, I mean, here I would like uh, you to, to sort of uh, uh, maybe explain a bit of the difference between what the medical, the technical terms for heritability is and how it's usually uh misused so to speak in in common parlance mm-hmm. first of all i i actually have this um issue because i don't really know how people because in romanian we basically tend to use the same word for both hereditary mm-hmm. and heritability I mean, I, I, I actually, I, I looked it up and I haven't found like a, a different word in Romanian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if necessarily this happens for English speaking people. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really tell, not being from uh, England or America. But in Romanian, a lot of people mix hereditary and heritability. Um, meaning that something can be highly hereditary. I mean, you definitely uh, inherited from your parents, 
um, and um, something very obvious um, would be like having two hands and uh, two legs. This is highly hereditary, but with a very low heritability. I mean, um, the variation is very low. Most people have two legs and two arms. It very rarely happens that somebody is born with half a leg mm. or okay. half an arm or missing a part of leg or an arm. Um, but it's definitely he hereditary, you know? But it's not, it's not what generally people, at least in Romania, think about. When you talk about something being hereditary, they don't think that, yeah, the fact that I have two legs and two eyes and two hands is hereditary. Heritability is actually, it's a somewhat statistical term and it just, uh, it relates to um, the, the variation of that um, feature that uh, exists within a population. In, um, in medical terms, we, we have, uh, we, we, we call phenotype everything that um, is a feature that is different. Um, be that uh, different at the cellular level, like if you have cancer, that um, cell will have a different phenotype. Or um, in Romanian, people are mostly used with the term phenotype when you talk about your external features, like your face and how you appear to look like. But uh, every sort of variation is a different phenotype. So I'm not really sure if this is very useful to talk about because I'm quite sure most people don't actually have any sort of opinion on what these words mean. It just, everything just means either I got it from my mom and dad or I didn't get it from my mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I think, I think this is usually what uh, most people understand uh, uh, when they say something is heritable. Uh, you got it from your mom and your dad and probably they also see this as something that, it's, that is just fixed in the sense that uh, anything, whatever it is that you've uh, probably inherited from your mom and dad, uh, it's like in a vacuum. It's almost like it has this sort of transcendent quality, whereas whatever it is that you have inherited, whether it's something, as you said, it's a, a rare uh, variation or it's just something that, yeah, you inherited from them because it's hereditary, but it's not something like you know, having two legs and uh, mm -hmm. arms. Uh, but that in it, those features in themselves are or have been influenced by certain contexts, like surely uh, the fact that uh, you might be born, um, I don't know, having, uh, you might be born a, a dark skinned individual in Scandinavia uh, yes, that's not determined by the context then that you were born in then, but it was determined by the context that the ancestors and ancestors of your ancestors have been uh, living uh, under, right? Sure, and also um, something that I find very often in um, uh, Romania, again, I'm not, I, I don't think this is necessarily true for um, people who come from English-speaking countries, Romanians tend to 
conflate the terms genetic and hereditary. If you tell somebody that something is genetic, mm -hmm. they think this means it's hereditary. I mean, if it's genetic, it means that they got it from mom, dad, or whatever in their family. Um, and very few people understand that uh, some sort of genetic uh, mutations um, can be both familial. I mean, sometimes they exist because you inherited them, so they are hereditary. But sometimes they can be sporadic. I mean, they just appear. You, you are an anomaly within the genetic tree of your family. And that, that is also genetic without mm -hmm. being hereditary. Is this like the recessive genes or...? No, 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 no. It has nothing. It, oh, okay. it has to do with mutations. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I mean, uh, when I'm... When I talk at, at the clinic with people who have cancer and uh, when I tell them, you know, it's highly likely that you maybe because a lot of people just want to know, like, what did I do wrong? What from mm -hmm. outside myself was the problem that I can fix? So this goes away or never happens again. And you tell them that, you know, obviously there are environmental factors that contribute but you can also just be the result of an unlucky uh, genetic uh, mutation. happening mutation mm -hmm. that um, because obviously we ourselves die and reproduce and die and reproduce millions and millions and millions and millions of times during our lifetime and this simple fact of um, the, the cells cloning themselves, um, like a Xerox machine, sometimes mm -hmm. one page just goes wrong for no particular reason. The machine is not broken. It just mm -hmm. didn't do the copy very well. And um, I, I would disagree. Xerox machines are always broken. They are, <laughs> they are a mistake. Yeah. So when you tell people, I, I tell people, um, yeah, you know, maybe it's also something genetic. Oh, no, no, I, I, I did this and that test and uh, it's not genetic. I, I didn't get it from my parents, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, because they think they don't have a history of cancer yes. in the family. So they mm -hmm. are surprised that, yeah, but the history always begins with someone. Mm -hmm. And it's really painful when you realize that someone might be you, I guess. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. For for sure, um, this discussion of genetics, um, genetics has come a long way, but at the level of you know popular culture, popular discussion, um, it's I a lot of the times I, I look at discussions that bring up genetics like discussions that bring up quantum. You just say it, so it will sound like ooh, you know, you just said something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds sciencey. So, sounds sciencey, and most people will not know if it's true or not. So mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, so I have so I have let's... no idea if general economics exists. I have never heard of it, but that is not a reason for something to not exist. I'm sure. I'll oh talk... well, general economics. I've uh, I've had a brief look on uh, Wikipedia. I've also found several articles, but I didn't have time to uh, peruse them. And Wikipedia politely defines the term as a field of proto science. Based on based on the idea that a person's economic behavior could be traced back to their DNA, 
I'm sure of a lot of things because let's say some high risk behavior, you know, mm -hmm. some, some of them, uh, sure have a lot to do with, um, some genes. So sure, mm -hmm. if you are more likely to, let's say, have an addictive behavior, then you are more likely to become addicted. Then of course you are more likely to have money problems. That could mm -hmm. be true, but you really need to specify and you need to have conversation exactly what you want to discuss because otherwise you just have like this bucket of everything and you're most likely going to be wrong. Well, I, I think this is why uh, we titled uh, these two episodes The Deceitful Language because uh, using uh, sort of uh, un unclearly defined terms or umbrella terms is one of the easiest way for people who don't really want to engage in a uh, conversation to, to obfuscate the, the point. Mm -hmm. uh, back to Mankiv, as he draws his conclusions from the genoeconomic papers he's quoting, mm -hmm. he says, being raised by the right family does give a person a leg up in life. But family environment accounts for only a small percentage of the variation in economic outcomes compared with genet genetic inheritance and environmental factors unrelated to family. So factors unrelated to family, like what? The neighborhood they can afford to live in? <laughs> I mean, Well, the country you are born in. How likely it is that you die before you reach... Teenage years, <laughs> there are a yeah. lot of things unrelated yeah, I mean, to family. Yeah, because... Uh, but uh, it, again, you really have to, to, to specify what you're talking about. Because if you get um, a somewhat stable country with a um, um, city that is somewhat, you know, well off overall, you might have a smaller degree of importance for, you know, outside factors. And then if you go in a diff even if a, in a different city in the same country, let's not uh, talk about just going to a different country altogether. The environment, the environment in a country at war, it will most definitely become a hell of more important thing than you know the genes like the bomb just went off you're dead <laughs> with your yeah, with your yeah. brilliant genes i mean at the end of the day uh if if he if Mankey, for instance is um is being honest about yeah yeah i i, I do realize that there is a there is a problem with inequality mm -hmm. uh then you know i'm still waiting for the sort of solution because uh, he traces all of this back to a slowdown in educational attainment okay so then how can we solve this because you know i don't hear uh, him or anyone um who who sort of uh, supports uh, the same arguments uh talk about any ambitious national programs that would help people acquire those highly required skills that will lend them the massive paychecks because, you know, he, he, he said something about, you know, the 50s and 60s, you had this uh, 
surging graph of uh, people going to school, getting degrees, getting into probably STEM fields and things like that. But yeah, of course, you had the beginning of the Cold War, you had the whole space race, you had massive investment in terms of uh, both education and then uh, infra uh, not, not infrastructure, but I, I, I guess infrastructure as well. Uh, and manufacturing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there, 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 there was this whole system that was put in place after the Second World War of uh, using the sort of momentum that was built up during war production uh, and redirected it to civil uh, purposes, right? Uh, and then you remove that and you just tell people, well, try harder. <laughs> Sure, and, and, and maybe go to a private school that you cannot afford to go to as if that were just your choice because, you know, you, 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 you don't get a good education because you choose not to go to a good school. Yeah, and um, also um, talking about how he builds a straw man, nobody says that, um, you know, there won't be... Um, obvious differences uh, among people uh, based on mm -hmm. their skills and uh, based on what we will need further down the line. We might need other skills. Uh, High-paying jobs now might not be so high-paid or might not even exist in some years in the future. But what we are talking about is, first of all, is being uh, not very smart, uh, punishable by death offense, I mean, we, if we have a discussion in the country and we decide, well, if we decide you don't have um, uh, highly employable skills, I think the punish should be death. <laughs> you know, if, if, if that is not what we're saying, then, of, and also, of course, we all know that corruption exists at different degrees in all societies. So we know that People that are that have money have power, and people in power will help their own family and friends. So we mm -hmm. know those things happen. So you can, you, you you really have to argue in bad faith when you want to say that well, it's everything just about how brilliant they are. And mm -hmm. and and the people who 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 want to discuss the the environment, they actually what they want to discuss and what they want to address is not. The fact that a doctor has more money because he genuinely is good at something. They want to discuss the fact that uh, the, the child of that doctor may not be as good as the child of somebody else, but will end up being in that job due to corruption, as we have seen with a lot of uh, um, high-profile cases of actors and something uh, from the entertainment business uh, actually paying their kids away to get into big schools we know those things happen and those are the things we want to address we don't nobody wants to let's just put less qualified people in high places so there will be i don't know equal outcome or some silly thing like that but yeah. it, it sort of sounds like that the way these people present it yeah, because like you said, it's supposed to be a straw man and then, oh, look at how ridiculous this is. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he goes on to say, I was raised in a middle class family. Neither of my parents were college graduates. 
My own children are being raised by parents with both more money and more education. Yet, he says, I do not see my children as having significantly better opportunities than I had at their age. Okay, uh, can I, I, I'm sorry, can I say one more thing? Um, Yeah, sure. And then we'll come back to this uh, wonderful quote. Um, Yeah. In... uh, uh, in Siddhartha's Mukherjee's book, Jean, there is um, mention of this study that has been done in an American city where there was um, a high incidence of uh, people engaging in high-risk behavior. And mm-hmm. um, they, they've done this study um, where they, um, they uh, looked if they had a certain type of genes that they knew... Uh, have to do with uh, high-risk behavior and um, they um, split the the people in two groups the control group who just had their Mm -hmm. genes tested uh, and there was no uh, intervention and the intervention group uh, and they got uh, you know the psychological help and the economic help and all that they discovered that the same genes that make some people more successful. <laughs> Susceptible. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, so they discovered that the same genes that make people more prone to high-risk behavior are the same genes that make people more likely to react to environmental changes. I mean, the, the, the genes of the people that were more protected, that they didn't have that uh, that much inclination towards depression, towards self-harm, towards uh, um, addiction. Um, they also were less, if they had some problems, they were less likely to be helped by, by outside, um, you know, intervention. But the people mm-hmm. who had the most problems and those problems being traced to genetics those same genes were the ones that were helping them be more responsive to outside help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So things are a lot more nuanced and a lot more complicated that because you don't have one gene for one thing. You have genes that um, you know uh, work together and also uh, a whole part of your DNA that is not actually genes. Most of our DNA is not the genes. Mm-hmm. Is what was uh, named at the beginning junk DNA. And then they realized, well, it's not exactly junk. This does something <laughs> also, <laughs> you know? So there is this, um, um, all, all these parts of our, uh, of our genome they work together and you have different traits that you wouldn't think of that they go together and you cannot get rid of one without getting rid of the other you know mm-hmm. and um, you might get very interesting things like this like this uh, this study mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's very correct to say that those people have that behavior because of their genes but it is also very correct to say that if you will go with outside help you will be more likely to change the life of those people and to make them into actual functional citizens also due to the, also due to their genetics 
Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's um, uh, I think we can uh, always get back to the whole lords breed lords uh, mm -hmm. idea uh, uh, as uh, uh, the, the crux of the problem that uh, usually, in, in, uh, again, as I said, in common parlance, people understand genetics as that that something that is almost like mm -hmm. the precious family heirloom that gets passed down and is somehow uh, like, uh, I don't know, a mosquito in amber. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and, and they, they don't realize, or like, uh, you know, the patients uh, that you mentioned uh, in the clinic who uh, said, you know, there's no cancer, his, uh, there's mm -hmm. no history of cancer in my family. Yeah, but history starts with some person who, for one reason or another, something happens to them and then you know that whatever thing happens then is in within the larger the larger tree of the family and then that might get to be something hereditary or not down the line mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so uh you know tying this to the whole deceitful language theme again uh, again, it's it's just the perfect way to uh, to to use the misunderstanding the public has, and to just basically say, well, poor people, you know, they just make bad choices. Um, we're not totally saying that uh, spending resources on them is a waste, but we're saying that it doesn't really help them all that much, because yeah, and the. And we come back to these guys' kids, oh, who yes. apparently are not uh, are not helped at all by the fact that their yeah, parents are wealthy. You you would think that oh really all that networking has led to nothing. I mean, uh, the fact that Mankiv, as I briefly mentioned uh, at the beginning of last episode, has worked for two U.S. presidents. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess being a sucker runs in the family, you know, if you cannot make uh, a good uh, use of, uh, you know, opportunities such as that for your kids or for your family, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Manky proceeds to talk about redistribution and efficiency in the sense of how much or whether any at all should occur so as not to jeopardize the incentivizing of those most productive. He argues that people are different, not just in terms of productivity, but of consumption, leisure, and other tastes. So you're not in a low-paying job because most of the resources are flowing upwards towards management, for instance, but because people choose certain jobs that just pay less. And mm -hmm. he argues that that's because those people still get paid so to, so to speak, but in other ways, uh, whether it's uh, social capital or the warm and fuzzy feeling of teaching someone a skill or things like that. Oh, bitch, please. Which, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I do agree with the general point that not the, one of the reasons why not everyone goes for the most highly paid jobs at a given moment is uh, because they... You know, they've made a choice in the sense that they either are not particularly attracted by that field of uh, work or uh, they genuinely love something else. 
they just they just love something else and you know it's not that well paid but it's 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 something i love to do but again this is so completely removed from the realities of everyday life because this isn't about uh you know everyone maximizing the amount of money that they they can earn that's not the point nobody says you know i want to get paid as much as whoever has the highest salary in my environment uh, the point is that you should not be uh, punished for pursuing whatever feels you know like is your vocation at the end of the day or is just something that you genuinely uh, draw some satisfac satisfaction from doing by struggling to live because <laughs> this is the level where we're talking about you know it's it's the fact that I, and i mean doing whatever it is that you like to do and maybe uh struggling to ends uh, to make ends meet is tragically enough is mm -hmm. is uh, still a better scenario than the majority of people face because most people mm -hmm. don't even get to do what they would like to do because they are just stuck in a very low paying job that's like repetitive dehumanizing a job that is mm -hmm. looked down upon simply because they have very little other choice either because they you know they're uh, they live like you said in a country in which overall there aren't many opportunities because i don't know wartime financial crisis ongoing financial crisis mm -hmm. or you know they they were born into a family that for generations has been poor or you know on the margins uh and you know the least you could hope and 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 not not hope but i mean the least you could do as a society for people who uh are stuck in these uh, shitty jobs is yeah. probably the shortest way to put it uh is to at least uh, give them enough money so that they can you know not worry about their day-to-day -day means yeah so moving on one classic problem is the interpersonal comparability of utility. We can infer an individual's utility function from the choices that individual makes when facing varying prices and levels of income. But from this revealed preference perspective, utility is not inherently measurable, and it is impossible to compare utilities across people. Perhaps advances in neuroscience will someday lead to an objective measure of happiness, but as of now, there is no scientific way to establish whether the marginal dollar consumed by one person produces more or less utility than the marginal dollar consumed by a neighbor. So, if I understand correctly what he is getting at here, <laughs> he's... Because we really need to scientifically measure happiness, otherwise we cannot <laughs> tell if, you know... I think, he, I think he's trying okay. to, to say that we have no uh, scientific way of knowing uh, that if person A gets, uh, like the, 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 the marginal utility person A gets from having $1 million is greater than what person B uh, would get from the same amount. Sure, yeah, I know, I, I, I understand what he says, but um, what what we know, if if, if we are to talk about you know science 
we know that um, this uh, possible um, uh, mismatch between uh, okay having I don't know what many millions and the happiness those millions produce happen after mm -hmm. a certain threshold because up to a certain threshold that has to do with the amount of money you need to actually uh, meet your basic needs you can really you know there is a linear relationship between how you feel and the money you get um, after a certain threshold yeah you might just just be ah, i'm just because I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the very simple example is that, you know, you give a million dollars to a homeless person versus you give a million dollars to someone who is a billionaire. <laughs> I mean, it, when you get into the specifics of it, it's quite easy to see that... Even, even, if, even in, in, in that scenario, um, when you give the million dollars to a homeless person, the amount of money that will be the amount of money that makes yeah, the difference exactly. is not the whole it's, it's million. It's basically you know? the fact that he has a home so, now, which probably makes most of the difference. Yes. Yeah. And depending on where mm -hmm. they live, you know, one million might not be enough for a house. <laughs> uh, or it might be more than mm -hmm, enough mm -hmm. to, you know, buy a house and take care of many, many, many other things. And, you know, in the case of the, I don't know, the billionaire, I don't know, as you said, it might be just something uh, like they genuinely have this pathological happiness of seeing numbers add up, even if it doesn't really mean anything to them in terms of actual happiness, it might just be a numbers game. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's better than I have it than if anyone else would have it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the next chapter, Mankiv seeks to address uh, any critiques that uh, he thinks would come from the left side of the political spectrum. Uh, the first point he brings up is this. A second type of argument from the left is that the incomes of the rich do not reflect their contributions to society. In the, stand in the standard competitive labor market, a person's earnings equal the value of his or her marginal productivity. But there are various reasons that real life might deviate from the classical benchmark. If, for example, a person's high income results from political rent-seeking rather than producing a valuable product, the outcome is likely to be both inefficient and uh, widely viewed as inequitable. My own reading of the evidence is that most of the very wealthy get that way by making substantial economic contributions, not by gaming the system or taking advantage of some market failure or the political process. <laughs> I mean... I, I, no, like, no. <laughs> I, I like I like what he does. Like I do acknowledge that there might be some bad actors, but I don't see any. No, really. I mean, it it it, it it's just this thing that you look across countries all over the globe and you just cannot see this problem. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I know I know there are some individual. You know, there's no such thing as systemic racism. There are just individuals who are bad apples, uh -huh. and I can you know. I, I do admit that there is such a thing as a racist person, but I mean, I, I don't see them. 
<laughs> do you know anyone who's racist? I don't know anyone who's racist. <laughs> I've read. Why do you know someone who's racist? Why would you associate with someone who's racist? You know, it's almost like this sort of public exercise, exercising of, uh, um, of, of, of uh, anything that's bad, you know, distancing. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't see. I don't. There's no such thing. I mean, I do agree in principle that obviously there are some bad bad people out there because the system is imperfect but i don't know do you know them i don't know <laughs> no seriously i mean this thing is so outrageous because it is you just need to i don't know start a tv and look at the news and uh, in in any country you see you know that there is of course a different degree based on generally how old the law system in that country is and since since when that country actually had money <laughs> to deal with such things and all that but you, you 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 look at any country and yeah you can see this problem that people try to game the system take advantage of some market failure or the political process in every single country and of course, the more failed the country is, you see this more and more. But even in the best of countries, you still have an important percentage that makes it visible. Yeah, and it's also uh, very funny to hear this from someone like Mankiff, who worked for both Bush and Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. Mitt Romney, mm -hmm. who... I don't know if you remember when he was campaigning uh, to be president, uh, you know, they, they trotted out the fact that he used to be like a venture capitalist uh -huh. who would, uh, and, and a, a very predatory, at a very predatory company, so to speak, who would just uh, do hostile takeovers of companies or, or uh, factories, strip them of all their assets, sell them. Uh, and, you know, fire all the people and then resell the company for a profit. And, uh, you know, the Bush family, well, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into details there because the guys over at Eat the Rich have a special episode on the Bush family. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. all I will say is that there are, there are some serious dirty business, intergenerational dirty business going on there. So... You know, Mankiv is being a disingenuous, disingenuous piece of shit. So, and of course, we can just look at the Bush brothers, George W. and Jeb, and we mm -hmm. we just we see how they are extraordinary people, and they're they're there because you just don't see those kind of characteristics anywhere else. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course, W's contributions to society. Uh, I mean, who can who can distract the public in 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 many ways? Because that's what he did with his you know goofball uh, shenanigans uh, and distract people from the atrocities committed by uh, his government in Iraq and in many other places. Mm -hmm. It it takes a special kind of yeah person truly so I mean, there it, it is a, it there, is a skill there you go yeah it is and now being sort of redeemed as this very endearing old friend from you know from the noughties who paints dogs and is you know hanging out with ellen and the obamas and giving candies to michelle <laughs> 
Evan. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, even the example uh, Mankiv give, gives of um, a good rich person, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, who is, you know, Steve Jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the point with, with, with uh, Apple is not that it launches uh, successful products with a cult-like following. It's uh, how the fruits of that success are being distributed among those who contributed to the company. Because, you know, no matter how much you want to suck Steve Jobs' cock, his putrefied cock yeah. at this point, he didn't assemble the iPhone or the iPhones that people use. And he sure as hell didn't mine for the rare metals that are used for different parts of that phone. He wasn't even a tech whiz like Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak? The Woz. Wozniak. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, And neither was he all the designers and engineers or even, you know, the cleaning staff that uh, kept those labs and offices functional throughout uh, all those years that uh, these wonderful products were produced and are, you know, they are still being produced. Uh-huh. And, you know, do most people expect that the cleaning lady should get the same uh, wage as jobs? Well, I mean, you know, if you ask me, I would have paid more. The, I would have paid the cleaning staff more than Steve Jobs just because I would have loved to spite him <laughs> but that's not the point i mean and also you know i think we we are very quick to downplay the importance of main maintenance cleaning and care care jobs because they are considered sort of low prestige jobs but anyone who lives a, or you know anyone who who works in a large office knows that when the cleaning staff leave early or if there is a staff shortage, the common areas and the kitchens just become a pigsty in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and not, uh, not only that, I mean, yeah, sure, in a company, a lot of people are actually needed. Um, but the problem with people like Steve Jobs is that uh, people refer to him like... Um, he invented something and he clearly did not and that would not be the main issue the main issue is that the most things that have been used for this successful product that is the iphone were actually um, inventions done in uh, state sponsored facilities Mm -hmm. and uh, you know you, you you have the um, touch screen, you have the GPS system, you have lots of these things were actually invented in um, state-sponsored facilities and of course uh, he, he, he does have the uh, thing that we, we have to thank, thank him for that he, he realized that well if you put more of these things together uh, in a very accessible and approachable way, people are going to use this product and even have their life greatly improved. But overall, the the money came from basically everybody, and the glory and the glory is just his. Yeah, because I, I the, I, I the money the and the silence the behind everything. <laughs> yeah, because at, at the end of the day, it's uh, despite my personal um, lack of sympathy for uh, certain uh, characters, so to speak, mm-hmm. 
individuals in 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 these uh, gl glamorized positions like Steve Jobs or whatever. It's not that they shouldn't be incentivized or encouraged to do whatever they're supposed to do, despite my lack of appreci appreciation for them as individuals. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, I'm not the one who decides these things. But the point is, why should they get so much of, you know, of the benefits or of the recognition or of everything? That's the whole point. They just hog all the limelight. And not just that. If it would just be that uh, they uh, have this uh, spotlight and they have the fame, okay, that would be bad enough since a lot of the things they use were not their... Um, inventions but um, you also have the problem that they genuinely um, well they and their company genuinely uses their financial power to stop other people like them making their way up uh, I mean yeah. they, they genuinely look for new ideas and squash them if they're not, if if they cannot personally benefit or uh, buy those people or buy those ideas in some way, if those people somehow um, meet with their um, piece of market that they are interested in, they genuinely stifle competition. It's like in those uh, Western uh, uh, movies where they say. This town just ain't big enough for the both. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, moving on to uh, another argument he makes. Uh, he says, higher taxation is being justified by the claim that the rich achieved their wealth in large measure because of the goods and services the government provides and therefore have a responsibility to finance those goods and services. This line of argument raises the empirical question of how large the benefit of government infrastructure is. The average value is surely very high, as lawless anarchy would leave the rich, as well as most everyone else, much worse off. But like other inputs into the production process, government infrastructure should be valued at the margin, where the valuation is harder to discern. As I pointed out earlier, the average person in the top 1% pays more than one quarter of income in federal taxes, and about one third if state and local taxes are included. Why isn't that enough to compensate for the value of government infrastructure? So what I understand he's trying to do is turn the argument around to say, well, if you're saying that the rich should pay more because their business is the beneficiary of public infrastructure and services, I put it to you. How valuable are all these services to the 1% when compared to their contribution? How much bang for their buck are they getting? Uh, which, you know, like I said earlier about uh, more vulnerable people, uh, yeah, surely, uh, having more, uh, drawing more benefits from uh, communal uh, property or communal use of things and services. Yeah, it's true, because it's very likely that if you already have resources, you don't really want to divert any funds towards uh, public services, even if you, yes, they did help you build up your empire, so to speak. 
which is why you know many many rich people aren't very interested in contributing to to the well-being of public institutions and many actively seek to dismantle them how much more money should the poor rich guy pay he asks because they've already paying the most in terms of percentage contribution in federal taxes but yeah that's because they and have not, the money not just because of that because he he makes it look like they pay for services that they're receiving right now like um, I, I'm, I'm contributing with taxes um, towards the uh, communal use for what I will get the fact that somebody is giving me I don't know medical um, services or I have roads or whatever but um, even more in the, the case of these people the Steve Jobs of the world what they are paying back for is that they could have not existed, have all those uh, communal money been used to uh, actually advance all the discoveries that he used to just put in a smaller package. Like, you know, you, you pay for uh, all these things that have already been done, not the thing that you are receiving right now. Because... I, I, you know, there is this wonderful, uh, this wonderful expression in English uh, that goes something like you're pulling the leather up from behind you, mm-hmm. like you've made it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, even if you realize that, yes, I made it because there were these communal things uh, that uh, created an environment and uh, educated the workforce that I used to build up my fortune but now got mine mm-hmm. fuck all of you i will just pull up the leather the what yeah i will just make sure that i'm basically the one who closes the door behind me so nobody else gets to have the same yeah uh, opportunities because it's it's i made it exactly and this is why i hate very much the idea of the self-made man because mm-hmm. okay i understand the idea behind it it's not necessarily a bad one. It's about people who manage to have success in their respective fields, uh, despite not having, let's say, the family helping them getting there. But this idea that somehow there are these geniuses that exist in a vacuum and they invented everything. And there is no mm. discovery that is not based on all the science and all the ideas and um, all the marketing ideas, all like there is no new thing that is not based on all the things that we already know and all the mistakes we already made. So you could have not actually started from this point if all the other points before you didn't exist. So you know. So what you're saying is death to the author. <laughs> Always, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the only way to enjoy <laughs> reading this. You know. You know. You know, uh, in school when we used to uh, learn about like uh, ballads and things like mm-hmm. that that are like a part of the folklore, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a bit weird to me because most of the stuff that you learn when you learn to read and things like that have an author. Mm-hmm. I was like, how? And, and then also, obviously, uh, hearing about all the cathedrals, for instance, in Europe and I'm, I'm sure temples throughout the world... Uh, being built basically by not just by a group of people over by a whole community working together 
uh, but by sometimes by generations, because mm-hmm. you know many of these things were not ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know we we complain about builders taking long now, but yeah, <laughs> it was even worse. Back even worse. back in the pyramids time, it was even worse. <laughs> yeah, you know another thing that is really annoying um, is this idea of yeah, but you see uh, if you scare away these very fragile people of of great intellect and talent and genius uh these job creators Mm -hmm. uh by not letting them get their second yacht then you know whatever will become of us Mm -hmm. and (laughs) the thing is i i mean i don't think that not letting them get their second yacht would really disincentivize them from doing business because uh when you are in the business of making money uh, it, it, I think it, there's also this component of almost sportsmanship, like or sport, uh, like uh, like people who do sports have this passion for the numbers, for being number one, for outdoing each other. Yeah, they 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 genuinely have uh, an enjoyment for the race in itself. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So and besides that, I just think that. Even if you would argue that, well, actually, the, I don't know, the millionaire or billionaire, billionaires, billionaires, having a second yacht actually creates jobs because obviously you need people to man the ship and you need uh, the staff uh, that, I don't know, waiters and cleaning staff and whatever, whatever, whatever on the yacht. Ultimately, those, the benefit of ha- of having those jobs uh, in uh, in a society is uh, largely, you know, dwarfed by how much more useful that amount of money would be poured into uh, services that would maybe help quite a few families have access to better living conditions, maybe housing, maybe, you know, schools. No, as ab- he seems absolutely. To be. Yeah. There, is no, there is no job um, that pays you minimal wage that is as important as the fact that you live in a country where you can go to the doctor anytime and not end up in debt. Yeah. And also to sort of uh, reference uh, something well fairly recent. I, I think it happened last year, right? In, in Romania when a girl disappeared. Well, disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, amid the sort of drama and, and the, 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 the tragedy of the situation uh, of her death, uh, many people failed to notice the fact that when she was abducted, she was hitchhiking because there was the, the, the bus line from her village to the nearby town where she was going to school was discontinued. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yep. you know having public safe public transportation and avail- freely available or you know cheaply available public transportation is Absol- sometimes absolutely yeah it's it's also i mean the 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 quality of the the, the increase in the quality of life is uh, is quite easily measurable for for people who don't have you know their second yacht <laughs> yes the the point is that no nobody says that uh, people shouldn't, you know, just enjoy their money. The point mm-hmm. is that we would like a certain baseline for everybody. And after th- after that, 
you can you can have your billions you know <laughs> yeah but I, I i mean i would argue that there should if the, if we have a baseline we should also maybe discuss like an upper limit of uh, course in in the sense that uh, we we've discussed you know the, mm -hmm. the e even if i have and everyone on earth has enough money to get by and even you know enjoy their lives if you have so much more money then obviously you will I mean, it's it's it, it's not even a question of how good of a person you are. It's that the the temptation is just too too great to uh, fiddle and mess around with the system to make to 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 game it for yourself and your friends or family, right? Because we talked about corruption. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you you have all this money lying around. <laughs> you have to do something with it. I mean, yeah, you're right. But uh, let's let's get back to yeah. this this wonderful guy. Yeah. So he says, government has grown as a percentage of the econ economy, not because it is providing more and better roads, more and better legal institutions, and more and better educational systems. Rather, government has increasingly used its power to tax to take from Peter to pay Paul. I mean, small government, right? All right. <laughs> I'm so surprised by this. Yeah. 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 Because when you cut back on the scope of governing, you are not going to want to see big infrastructure developments or commissioning large projects or anything like that. Uh, and uh, also, I like the fact that he just skips over this whole idea of, well, the government is just using its power to tax, to take from Peter, to pay to Paul. Yeah, because... Almost suggesting that they are the same social class. And and not, not just that, but suggesting that you take from a person to give to another person. But generally, we are talking about actually big humongous firms we're not even talking about a person with a high salary versus a person with a smaller yeah, salary. and also he's, he's he's sort of suggesting that actually you know uh you take from the rich person to, to give to the poor person kind of but you know judging by all you know the recent revelations about all the tax haven well recent mm -hmm. revelations but like discussions about tax havens and tax avoidance by all these huge companies mm -hmm. i mean yeah yeah it's very disingenuous to talk like there are actually two people it, it doesn't even matter um what uh, what money you know salary or something like that those people have but in general we are not talking because Let's be honest, we're not talking Jeff Bezos, the person. Mm -hmm. We are actually talking his firms. You know, yeah. we, we, we don't... If, if he pays himself a certain amount of money, because generally, generally that's how you get the money out of your firm, it, it's not that that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, 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 are, we are comparing institutions actually even if they're private with people yeah. and there's no comparing that you know a while back you uh, uh mentioned uh, john rawls to me yeah well, I, I, think yeah. You, I think you like uh, the next bit he says a common thought experiment used to motivate income redistribution 
is to imagine a situation in which individuals are in an original position behind a veil of ignorance. Mm -hmm. This original position occurs in a hypothetical time before we are born, without the knowledge of whether we will be lucky or unlucky, talented or less talented, rich or poor. A risk-averse person in such a position would want to buy insurance against the possibility of being born into a less fortunate station in life. In this view, governmental income redistribution is an enforcement of the social, social insurance contract to which people would have voluntarily agreed in this original position. Yet, take this logic a bit further. In, its, in this original position, people would be concerned about more than being born rich or poor. They would also be concerned about health outcomes. Consider kidneys, for example. Most people walk around with two healthy kidneys, one of which they do not need. A few people get kidney disease that leaves them without a functioning kidney, a condition that often cuts life short. A person in the original position would surely sign an insurance contract that guarantees him that at least one working that guarantees him at least one working kidney. That is, he would be willing to risk being a kidney donor if he is lucky in exchange uh -huh. for the assurance of being a transplant recipient if he is unlucky. Thus, the same logic of social insurance that justifies income redistribution similarly justifies government-mandated kidney donation. Yeah, I can see the logic here. So, you know, if we can't control everything, why do anything about anything? Uh, I mean, for one thing, uh, you can't blame them. Uh, they aren't really looking for a discussion about solutions to problems because they don't see a problem, usually because mm -hmm. it's not, you know, the things they are, they are talking about don't necessarily affect them. Mm -hmm. uh, also, like, I'm sorry, but isn't the whole kidney example he uses to undermine Rawls's point basically a, a description of how uh, the system, so to speak, the system of universal healthcare works, only of course taken to an extreme that is designed to incite powerful emotions, because he's trying to trigger fear people, fear in people who would go, my kidney, my precious kidney, I don't want to give it away to some random stranger, fuck you, got mine. Uh, and I'm already being magnanimous with his example, because how on earth could you know that you won't be needing your second kidney from presumably a young age. But in the system he's describing, actually, if you've given away a kidney and later in life you find you need a kidney transplant, considering that, statistically speaking, there will be less people in need of a kidney transplant anyway than healthy people who can be donors, you'll still be fine. And also you don't actually need some weird example uh, but you could use this in a actually not so extreme way and that would make sense to a lot of people. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that um, if you don't want to be a donor, it's not all that fair to be on the uh, list if you actually need a kidney. So we're not just going to go around and take kidneys out of people. But we would like people to put themselves on a list for being donors in case they die. Or, you know, some people actually want to donate a kidney if they have two working kidneys for somebody who's going to die if they don't have one. The same way uh, people want to donate uh, bone marrow, let's say, you know. You don't have to die for that. You can just put yourself on the list. But 
you can have a actually non-extreme discussion about the fact that yeah if you don't want to contribute to a system maybe you shouldn't be reaping all the rewards <laughs> you yeah know? but but i think i think even even uh, they know that it's really it's 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 kind of impossible to dis- disentangle yourself from a system and and the benefit it it provides to you i mean they're not going to just go away to a deserted island and then start even if they do that they've already been brought up in a society and they've already reaped benefits so at the end of the day however way you want to 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 uh you know twist and turn uh, they are trying to justify their sort of piggybacking off of society mm-hmm. by somehow gaslighting all of us and telling us well actually you know look at all the things i did for you and it's still not enough <laughs> Yes, and I didn't even steal your kidney. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it's... yeah. Let's 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 move on to some. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, new new wonderful idea from this guy. Yeah. Well, actually, this is the 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 very last uh, paragraph I'll read. It's uh, you know because I've accused uh, Mankiv of not being interested in presenting any solutions. And now he he does he does have a solution. Oh, I I, I am so afraid actually. <laughs> An alternative vision of redistribution. Mm. He says that uh, people should receive compensation congruent with their contributions. If the economy were described by a classical competitive equilibrium without any externalities or public goods then every individual would earn the value of his or her own marginal product and there would be no need for government to alter the resulting income distribution. Pigovian taxes and subsidies are necessary to correct externalities and progressive income taxes can be justified to finance public goods based on the benefits principle. Transfer payments to the poor have a role as well because fighting poverty can be viewed as a public good. So basically, it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, this is just like a sort of an explanation, like, okay, maybe we can see a sort of benefit of not having death be a penalty of being poor. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and also we, we would... Uh, you know, we would uh, be so, it would be so much better for everyone if we just have this, again, very hypothetical competitive equilibrium, classical competitive equilibrium without any externalities or public goods. How how are you going to have something without any externalities? Because, you know, the public goods, they're, they're trying to do away with, but... <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm just, I'm... I'm. I'm not gonna even no. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is no. this is the end uh, note for this uh, whole uh, for this whole essay. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm not even gonna. I mean, he's not. <laughs> he he's not trying to you know to to do anything constructive. So why should we? <laughs> I mean, you. I have to say that I do think that just bitching about stuff that needs bitching about, it's a public good. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's why we have this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
sometimes bitching about something is a very constructive use of one's time and a public service. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's a first step towards, I don't know, fully automated pansexual space communism, right? Because we agreed it's going to be pansexual. I, I, I did. I I felt quite ostracized by your first <laughs> utopia. So now I feel like it's a lot more inclusive. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay. well, we'll leave it at that then. And yeah. uh, uh, hope uh, anyone who has been listening has been enjoying themselves and uh, maybe tune in for our next episode. I can I can tell you that the dog managed to stay all throughout our discussion, so the dog oh. was very interested. Okay, well yeah. that's nice. <laughs> and no <laughs> snoring from the dog, no. so it wasn't no. that boring. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. great, great. Bye. Okay. Bye.